Nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. I'm Deirdre Quinn, co-founder and CEO of Lafayette 148. We are a lifestyle fashion brand named after our street address in Soho, and we are a women-run, women-owned company, and we dress a lot of successful women in the world. There is a fine line between success and failure, and walking that line is a little bit dangerous, so you just you know, have to be prepared. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Deirdre Quinn is the CEO and co-founder of Lafayette 148 New York, the women's fashion company. She explains how after a long career in the fashion industry, she was inspired to branch out and become an entrepreneur. You came from a big Irish family, and you said that it actually has helped you in business. How so? You know, you just, you learned to um, get along with a lot of different people from an early age. I mean, our dinner tables were always full of cousins and, and relatives, people that, you know, every time somebody came in the door, they were another relative that you've, <laughs> you'd never met. And I was like, wow, are all these people related to us? So yeah. it, it, it was awesome. And it was also, you know, a bit more global from the beginning because you had relatives coming in from, from England, from Ireland, from Australia, like all over the place. And, and you know, it, it was fun to grow up learning that there was a little bit more than just the town you were in. Growing up, you didn't want to ask your parents for money. Tell us about that. I guess my parents are, were immigrants, and so they sort of ingrained in us what it takes to sort of, you know, come to a, a, a new country and uh, forge your own way. So we were we were taught that we had to do the same. We weren't going to get anything. We had to earn it ourselves, and I was okay with that. You know, I was I watched my older sister sort of how she got things done, and and then I found my way to get what, you know, that I needed, the support I needed from my parents, but also the independence that uh, came with being second. So I had heard in college you had worked two jobs, but lost both of them within an hour. So can you tell us what happened? Okay. So after graduating fashion school, um, I got a job in a garment factory in Hialeah, and um, I was in sales. And I kind of knew there was issues because they weren't delivering things on time. And it was, you know, your reputation when you're in sales that you should be, uh, you know, you can't get another order if you don't deliver. Um, and I always worked two jobs. So going to work after work for in a restaurant was just normal for me. So this one Friday, I go in to get my paycheck and... Uh, the ball, everyone's standing around the factory shaking their heads. And, you know, it's quarter to five. You picked up your paycheck and work was done Friday at five. And they basically told me the company went out of business, mm -hmm. which was a shock. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, my God, are we getting paid? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I drove to my other job, um, which started at 530. And I went into the office, put my bag in the room. And a gentleman in there said to me, excuse me, you know, who are you? And I'm like, well, who are you? I, I work here. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, we bought the restaurant over the weekend. We don't need you anymore. <sighs> and I looked at my watch, and it was 530. And I'm like, wow, 
that's quarter to five and 5.30. That's so under an hour. Crazy. You know, your first job's out of school, which actually turned out to be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I think losing a job, you, you learn something from, and you it does make you stronger. What do you learn from that? Um, I learned to make sure you work for a good company. Mm-hmm. Make sure that uh, their reputation is your reputation. If, if you know, if somebody's not doing the right thing, maybe it's not the right place to work. What did that teach you about entrepreneurship? Because both of those were entrepreneurs. You know, um, I think entrepreneurs, maybe it comes from being a second child. Maybe uh, you just learn how to do things different than following. You, you know, I love my older sister. She works in the company. But watching the mistakes that she made in getting what she needed from my parents helped me become a stronger sort of negotiator and, <laughs> and sort of, well, we can do it this way. And, you know, I think entrepreneurship is about finding different ways to do things. It's just this natural ability to blaze another trail. So your sister today works with you she at does. your company. What, she, is, what does she do? Both of my sisters oh. live, live in Atlanta. Wow. My younger sister works for my older sister. So it's sort of a whole chain of events. And they all work for you. <laughs> they all work. They all, we all work for Lafayette, I always like to tell people, yeah. because I, I really do treat the company that I am. Uh, the brand is bigger than me. It's bigger than anybody else in the company. So it's so important for me that even as they're my siblings, when we're behind, uh, you know, we're in the showroom and we're behind doors, it's like, listen, you got to do a good job or you're out. You've and said that. I have. I, and I mean it, and everybody knows that. Wow. But, yeah, it's, it's a good discipline. Early in your career, you said you took on tasks that other people didn't want to do, and that helped you advance. So I'm wondering how other women can use that technique but not get stuck with everything that everyone doesn't want to do and kind of get pigeonholed as the person that everybody dumps on. You know, yes. Um, I, I think being willing to do anything sends a message, even when you're at the top. There's nothing that I'm not willing to do. At the same time, you have to work smart. You can't just work hard. So, um, you know, uh, maybe anything that you do, you, you find a way to just make it more efficient along the way as you're, as you're doing it. You know, I, I think there's levels of, of where you should spend your time. And, uh, but I also think as you start your career, especially when you're young, you have to work hard. I mean, hard work is just, it has to be, part of who you are. You know, it doesn't just come. You have to show your bosses that you're willing to do anything. You're willing to have patience, patience critical in growing. I'm still like that. I I guess it's also part of just maybe who I am. I think some people feel that, just to play devil's advocate, that they're they're smarter, they've got better ideas, that they're ready for more. But the higher people may feel like, oh, no, you're not ready because you're not X whatever age. that happened to me as well. I was definitely a young girl in a production department and sort of taking notes and, you know, bringing the coffee in and being the uh, so-called secretary back in the day. And, you know, they always told me, train my new boss so that he could get promoted or that he could become a vice president. And, of course, in my head, I'd be like, what about me? Right. But I would never say it. Yeah. Um, but when I finally left the company, and I did leave after six years because I, I felt that I, my voice wasn't heard. And it was awesome when within the year I got called back. 
and I still didn't take the job. And another year went by, and this time I got the vice president, and I went back. So I think there's a lesson of patience in there. I think that there's um, per, you know persistence, perseverance, and and sometimes you have to decide maybe you need to go. And you know there's some great. I don't want my people to leave. So like even when I tell them my stories, mm-hmm. I tell them. But, you know, it's up to you how your journey is formed. You know, you can have a different boss in the same company, and it's almost like another company. Yes, 100%. You know, I had 10 bosses in 10 years. And you have to learn, you know, take the good from them, filter what you don't want to be, and ultimately you learn who you are going to be. How do you know when to walk away, though? I think it's instinct, honestly. I think you should speak to somebody outside the company, not just inside the company, you know, whether it's a sister or a, a friend or someone. And, and, you know, you get advice from different people. I think we all, you know, look to others for advice. And then, of course, I think HR is a really important thing to talk to because, you know, sometimes people don't know what you think they know. So you have to spend the time to sort of express your feelings. And, you know, maybe they're going to be like, wow, you know, we'll think of you if something else comes up. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't just say run out of a company. I think I'd try to, if it's a good company, you know, again, it starts with, are you working in a good company? Do you see that you're growing? Do you see that the company's growing? Because working in a company that's that's not good or it's not growing, that's instinct that it's time to go. How can a woman take what she learns from an established company and then use that to become an entrepreneur? I think women help women a lot. Okay, I, I belong to a lot of committees. Um, I belong to C200, Women's Forum, Partnership for New York. And I have learned that there are so many great women that you can talk to that, whether, you know, usually, you know, they're, they're further along in their career. So I, I try to talk to the people in, in Lafayette. I love looking at resumes. I love learning their journeys. I, I love telling them my journey because I, I do think that we inspire each other. So, you know, networking would be a critical part of um, building your career. So you knew how difficult the fashion business could be. So why start your own brand? Wow. (laughs) You know, I guess, you know, if you love something as much as I love what I do, it's it was just the next step. Um, Did I dream this big? You know, I'm a big dreamer, but the dream keeps getting better. And it's just an awesome, awesome, exciting time for the company. Coming up, Deirdre Quinn explains the highs and lows that come with running your own business, as well as the challenges of working with entrepreneurs. Rapid expansion? We're ready. Worker shortage? We're good. Anything can change the world of work. A celebrity buys the company. Depends on who it is. But relax, we've got ADP. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. So what's the biggest concern when it comes that professional women have when it comes to their clothes? Oh, you know, look, I I think it starts out with you want to feel great. So you want 
clothes that fit you because, you know, you might not know why you love something. You know, it's not always because you're technical enough to appreciate that the fabrics by stretch and it stretches both ways when you sit down. But you know you love that pan. Or you might not know um, why it's your favorite white cotton shirt in the closet, except when you touch it, you know, you might be thinking it's for style, but it's also because of the material. So I think we make it easier for women to love what they're doing so they can get on and do great things in the world. You know, I, I know me personally, if I'm comfortable in my outfit, I have a great day. You know, you, you know, people always say, like, oh, it must be so easy for you to dress. Well, you know, you still have to get up and think about what you're doing that day, where you're going to be, what's appropriate. You know, I mean, yes, there's gene days for all of us. And then there's executive days. There's so many different days. There's the day that you're at work and then you're going out in the evening and you don't have time to change. So we like to make it easier for our customer to feel good uh, when she when she's wearing our clothes so that she can get on with her day. I heard that the first five years of the company were really difficult financially. Mm. How so? You know, we thought we needed a million dollars, and 10 million later, we ran out of money. Mm. And um, we found out that the company's value was not there. And I remember turning to my business partner and saying, wow, what are we going to do? And he said, start swimming. We sunk the ships, and there's no turning back. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) do you have a piece of wood, (laughs) anything to hang on to? And he's like, Dee, we just have to go for it. And, you know, it was eight days a week. It was my feet hurt. Mm. Okay. We we weren't sleeping a lot. But, you know, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And I have zero regrets for those hard years. I just like people to know about it because there is a fine line between success and failure. And walking that line is... A little bit dangerous, so you just you know have to be prepared for um, you know what what it takes to really build a, a successful company. What would you say to an entrepreneur so they're not in the same situation that you were in? Is there a way to avoid that? Um, sure, there's so many people that are smarter than we are. You know, and and that have successfully built their businesses. I I only give you my journey. You know, people ask me, like, if I could do it again, uh, what would I do differently? Um, I don't think I would do a lot differently. I maybe the mistakes we made early on were blessings in disguise. You know, we started retail first year out of the gate. We opened five stores, we closed five stores, and that almost killed us. So today, we opened Madison, and I'm so proud of it. It's our 24th store. I never thought that we'd be doing this. So you learn from your mistakes. You have Everybody makes mistakes. You have to pick up, you have to brush yourself off, and you have to get back in the game. And the sooner you do that and the sooner you don't make the same mistake twice, the better off you're going to be. It's really important to learn from your mistakes. So congratulations on opening your store on Madison Avenue in Manhattan. That's really exciting. How come you decided to open a store during a time when so many retailers are having trouble with their actual physical locations? I actually think our timing is perfect. I think that there is a lot of change going on. Um, I'll back it up. We moved the company to Brooklyn a year ago, a year ago last week. And, you know, as as we are 
outside of the city, looking at the city, you know, looking at all those people that we want to address, we sort of use that to reinvest the money uh, in the company. The company's largest expense is its product. The second largest is the people. And the third was the rent. So we said, I said actually with my partners, why don't we move the company to Brooklyn, beautiful spot, and then take that money and reinvest it in the brand. Madison is the showcase for us. It is sort of the way that our customer can touch and feel because, you know, you can buy online and we have a huge online business, but what about walking into a store and feeling the product and, and seeing the best of Lafayette? I think that that is critical and something that um, we're going to continue to do. We're probably the slow and steady as a company. Everything that we do is with an entrepreneur twist, but not in a hurry. So opening two to three stores a year, um, making sure that we do it right, not having to, you know, close them like what happened to us early. I, I think those early lessons have taught us, but I believe in brick and mortar. I believe in wholesale. I believe in brand building. There's, there's so much to do. How do you compete with the rental clothing business? You know, at first I didn't think that our customer or people would want to rent Lafayette clothes. I'm like, oh, they're too expensive. Maybe it's a younger demographics. Boy, was I wrong. We signed up and we picked five styles and we we put them on uh, Rent the Runway. And wow, it's unbelievable. So that's a good example of, okay, you don't know what you don't know. So learn. And we're excited about it. I think it's actually a, a new modern way that people are doing business. Do you think so you'll doing it. do your own rental subscription or subscription service? Of course, if I say no, we will. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to fall in that trap. I'm not planning on it at the moment, but um, definitely uh, fascinated with it. So you mentioned working eight days a week. At one point, do you still work eight days a week? No. <laughs> no, good. So, no. But what, what personal sacrifices have you had to make to be an entrepreneur? Well, you know, traveling was definitely a lot of it, you know, uh, although I would, you know, take my skis when I was in Chile and ski the Andes and like you you found the fun parts of the job, you know, making it more than just a job. But I I do, there's definitely personal sacrifices. It is not easy um, to to always be on, you know, you, you have to find ways to you know, run, skip, and jump when you're not working because you're just high like that. Um, I climbed Kilimanjaro a couple of years back, and, you know, I've done a lot of fun things, walked the Santiago Trail with a group of women. We we do all of this to raise money for breast cancer. Um, I bike, I hike, I, you know, I work out a lot. You, you, you just, you find a lifestyle. Personal sacrifices, I'm not a good cook because I never found the time to cook. And, you know, that to me, eating out too much was a bad habit that I've just broke since I moved to Brooklyn. Hmm. You know, it's, it's nice to not eat out every night of the week because you didn't have time to think it through. You lost your business partner after 17 years. I'm sorry about mm. that. Um, would you tell us what happened? Oh, he was such an awesome person. He was a true visionary. I didn't have a lot of notice. We didn't, you know, 18 months. And it was... It was it was pretty devastating, um, but we carry on in his honor, as I as I tell everybody. And you know, you just you just it, it definitely teaches you not to take time for granted and not to take anything in your life for granted. 
um, he had a vision, and I used to ask him, how do you get a vision? Now, he's, he was 20 years older than me, and he used to, you know, so I always joked around, he was 20 years smarter than me. You know, he used to tell me that uh, a vision comes with age, and I've started to see that happening. You know, um, he left me a car full of gas, as I like to say, a, a successful company that was um, was doing well, and how that was now six years ago. Um, you know, when we moved to Brooklyn, I, I really thought about how proud he would have been of that move. And today, opening Madison, he would have been happy, and certainly he's happy be about the China retail because he wanted to do that. So you just, you know, you just sort of continue in somebody's honor. His wife is is a wonderful woman who runs our manufacturing facility. And I've gotten to know her and I've certainly gotten to learn that there is a lot of strength in her as well. Did you have to scramble to learn anything about the business when he died? I think confidence was probably the hardest job for me. You know, when people believe in you, you 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 sort of have to figure out how to believe in yourself. And I was a nervous wreck, but I couldn't let anyone know that I was like, I don't know if I can do this job. I, I think that's a healthy thing. I think especially in the fashion business, you can never, ever get sort of complacent. Every Almost every day or every season, you can't just sit still. You have to push yourself. You have to push to the next collection must be better. The next styles have to be more modern. You know, our customer is absolutely uh, needs to move on. She's busy. She 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 wants us to dress her with confidence. She wants us to dress her um, that she feels really good so she can go out and achieve all the things that she has to do in her busy day. So you were a seasoned executive, very well known in the industry, yet you still battled some confidence issues, it sounds like. Yeah. You know, getting better. Right. <laughs> you know, it's not so much confidence as I think it is. I say it's confidence, but I think it's just, um, it's blazing a, an unknown trail. And it, it takes it takes a lot of guts to to just be able to um, to lead by example and to lead with a vision. How do you keep customers loyal? Mm, they have such an important voice in the company. We brought our call center in-house because I wanted to make sure that we service them properly. So you go downstairs. They're, they're, in our, they're in the building in the Navy Yard. And you can just walk in and ask them, what is she, what is she saying? What does she need more of? What's the problem? You know, biz rates is something really important for the company. And we get hundreds of them a month. And you get to read directly from the consumer what she's happy about, what she's not happy about. And, you know, we I have all my executive team read those biz rates. We do trunk shows. We get to learn, like, what the customer wants from us. And we use that information. You know, technology is so critical to speed today. You use that technology to figure out um, what, you know, what we want to manufacture more of, what we should do less of, what, you know, what is she saying to us? I heard you're experimenting with artificial intelligence. How so? You know, um, manufacturing is getting more and more expensive everywhere in the world. I think the reason that the factory lasted as long as it did in Soho was that Mr. and Mrs. Sue always invested in machinery, which is technology. 
back in the day. They had automatic cutting machines and pressing machines. And, the, and once we moved the factory to our own state-of-the-art facility in China, we, you know, yes, labor was was less expensive, but, you know, that was a long time ago. And now, you know, China is growing just like the rest of the world. And the same thing's applying. You have to reinvest in now it's our you know it's it's ai and it's it's robotics for manufacturing or it's it's how orders get entered or how it can help our finance department there's so many manual jobs that ai is helping us um filter through read quicker have visuals things have come so far it's really exciting does that mean less jobs different jobs I don't, I don't ever think it's less jobs. I think that robots can't make decisions um, when it certainly comes to, you know, it can tell you what color sells. It can tell you, you know, what uh, silhouette sells. But, you know, you still have to know why. How has the China trade war affected you? Um, you know, uh, of course, we wish it wasn't happening. It started last year for us, and um, we had pretty uh, high 25% on our leather goods. And we've had to absorb some of it and pass some of it on to our consumer. And luckily for us, um, she has, you know, accepted it. And I am not going to move my factory. It's who we are. We bought land. We built a building. We have an incredible operation that is in many ways, you know, because my past, I ran around the world uh, to 70 countries for manufacturing. And so uh, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to stay where we are, and we're going to become more efficient, and we're going to make better product. And, you know, made in China isn't what made in China was. So what matters to us is that it's made in Lafayette. We control everything that we do. We don't make for anyone else. And we use our time and energy to give our consumer the best product and work together to make sure that she's happy and that we can afford to uh, uh, absorb you know, the tariffs that we have no choice on. Will you take the company public? <laughs> I doubt it. You know, again, say it. I could be set up for the wrong thing. I don't I, – I, no, I don't think so. I think fashion companies, it's not easy to be public. And certainly, you know, I worked in a big public fashion company, and I've certainly worked for a lot of big fashion companies. Um, I kind of like the entrepreneurial spirit, and I do think you'd lose some of that. So do I think, you know, the day will come that we'll have investors and that we will uh, be able to be much more of a, an American, iconic, global brand? For sure. That is on the horizon. It's an exciting time for us, even though we're 23 years old. Um, and, you know, maybe a lot of companies at 23 are maybe been there, done that. Um, I, I think we're just beginning. Time now for your secrets. I'm Deirdre Quinn. I'm the CEO of Lafayette 148. And my money secret is that you should not spend it if you don't have it. You know, you should have the patience to save for a rainy day and not take for granted that, oh, I'm going to get that promotion or I'm going to do this. Just wait. And as you, you know, you earn your money, you spend it. For more episodes, head to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite audio provider. And be sure to check out our Secrets of Wealthy Women video series on WSJ.com. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening.
This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day, but what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise.